Hey gang, welcome to the Gill Athletics Connections podcast. Our goal here is to simply share with you the stories and backgrounds of the great people of this great sport, track and field. I am your host, Mike Cunningham. It is my honor and privilege to bring you these great men and women from around the world. This week, oh man, I just had such a blast. I've got Ernie Clark of Ashland University to talk with today. Uh, really interesting. We really focused on his 14 years of coaching high school track and field and then his transition uh, now for five years as the assistant coach, associate head coach at Ashland University. Uh, I think you're really going to enjoy his insight to high school coaching and teaching uh, and how that translated into Ashland, things that were uh, immediately easy, uh, that transition, and the hard parts of that transition. Uh, so just had a wonderful time. I just absolutely know you're going to enjoy this, and uh, this will be real pertinent for you as a track and field uh, fan and coach uh, of this great sport. So without further ado, please help me welcome the wise, the wonderful Ernie Clark. Hello, Ernie. Hello, Mike. Hey, how are you doing today, my man? I'm doing really well with everything that's going on, man. Uh, yeah, it, it's, I should always caveat that right now. Are you doing okay in the world that we live in today? <laughs> yeah, we're all healthy. We're all hanging out at home and uh, doing family stuff, baby stuff, and whatever. How, how weird does it feel? It's, uh, we're, we're recording right now in the afternoon. You're supposed to be on the track right now. Yeah, it's it's... For me, it's the by far the biggest struggle is I just really, you know, I, I think all good coaches say this, but I miss serving my my kids and my athletes and being being able to just work with them and for them on a daily basis. Mm, yeah, I could see that. And and I know you do this, but that, that is a great segue for something that I'm extremely personally passionate about is track and field coaches specifically. Uh, take away the word coach and you know you are a person you are a husband a wife a father a, a daughter a son you know uh yeah let that same attitude that you have right there be what you're doing now with wife and kids and like you said you got two little babies this is the perfect time for you to be home i know wife is yeah. enjoying this <laughs> yeah she she really does absolutely love it it's funny that you know you lose your life's routines yeah. but my wife has created all these routines with our with our babies mm. so she just fits me in okay you're gonna do this and you're gonna do that and <laughs> and that's not a complaint either just like okay okay and and you just roll and it's it's actually been that piece has been pretty amazing and we joke every night about how much we're actually enjoying just our family time and each mm. other and we hope other people are too Absolutely. because not everybody enjoys each other as much as we do. Yeah, well, uh, they're they're going to find out real quick. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they will, won't they? <laughs> well, man, I can't say thank you enough for joining us today on the Gill Athletics Connections podcast. This is going to be a, a lot of fun. Uh, Ernie and I, uh, actually, we met once. I doubt you remember this, Ernie. It was at the convention this past uh, fall, past December. Uh, you were walking by, and I said something about, so you're, you're an eagle, huh? And uh, we, of course, talked about <laughs> someone that we know very well and, and uh, respect highly, uh, Mr. Judd Logan. Um, but then we've, we've never talked since then. So, <laughs> so my, Mike, that's hilarious because I was, you know, I spoke at the convention. Right, yeah. 
but I was that's probably the most nervous I've ever been in my life so I don't hardly remember sure meeting or talking to anybody because I was so locked in on trying to do a good job with that presentation so that's funny. You're right. I do not remember that, and but I appreciate you saying, you, saying you were, something to me. You were nervous and, and anxious and excited, and I'm a pretty easy, easily guy to forget. So I, I get it, man. I get <laughs> okay. it. <laughs> uh, well, hey, um, you know, we talked a little bit before we started recording today, and you have an extremely interesting, fascinating career path to where you are today at the uh, at Ashland University as the sprints and hurdles and associate head coach, I think, as well is in your title yeah. there. Um, one of the things that is extremely interesting that I'd like to uh, explore today for our listeners is you were um, a high school track and field coach for the majority of your career so far. Uh, and then got the opportunity to work at uh, a you know, really good Division II program. Yeah. Uh, so w- walk me through, let's, let's uh, start with um, your high school coaching career and where you were, and h- how did you even get into coaching? Yeah, that, that's, that's such a great question, and anyone that doesn't know me would never assume this. But anybody that knows me from when I was a really young child, you would be totally surprised that I would become a a coach, especially a college coach, simply because no one in my family was an athlete. Not my cousins, (laughs) not my uncles, not my aunts, not my brother, not my sister. My my brother followed my footsteps a bit uh, into athletics, but no one in my family really ever did anything along the sorts. Mm -hmm. So as I got into it, I think it's always important to say that it was always kind of a privilege. My dad never said, you know, he wasn't taking videos and watching practice and high-fiving. He was like, if you're going to do that, you better get this, this, and this done. You know, (laughs) chores and Mm -hmm. responsibilities and and work enough to pay for your team shoes and that type of thing. Mm. So it was very much a privilege for me to do high school sports and to, to try to work really hard to make, you know, the starting lineup or to earn a varsity mm-hmm. letter. You were, uh, I know track, obviously. Uh, yep. Did you do other sports in high school as well? My first love in life was basketball. Oh, well, you grew up in Indiana. So in Indiana, yeah. I think that's law you know? or something. You have to, <laughs> it's, yeah, Hoosiers. You, you, yeah. you got to put a hoop up. Right. <laughs> someplace even if it's in gravel or or like my dad did he put one about i swear to god it was 15 feet up (laughs) on the side of our garage he found a hoop at like an auction or something it had no net it it, and and you could tell someone had taped a net on it um a hundred times over but i still remember given everything I had to try to get the ball high enough to actually touch the rim yeah, 10 way feet, back in the day. Yeah, 10 feet's high enough, 15. Yeah, it, <laughs> and I can promise you it was beyond 10 feet. But, yeah, so basketball <laughs> was big. Um, that's really what I wanted to do. And I did play from – I ended up playing from, like, sixth, fifth, sixth grade all the way through uh, my senior high school. Mm-hmm. I did track from – eighth grade through 12th grade and then on into college mm-hmm. and I did cross country two years of high school because my track coach talked me into it oh man so I became a three-sport athlete by the end right. um which was a big deal because my you know my family was not necessarily for that specifically my dad but he really came around and became a really supportive person by the end as he 
he saw what it was doing for me. Mm-hmm. It's all your dedication to it. This wasn't just another, you know, when kids, we have all these ideas and they fall by the wayside, but you were sticking to it and having success. Well, I think initially he thought it was a waste of time, mm-hmm. you know, and then when you see me coming home frustrated, maybe that I didn't get playing time or, you know, I fall in a hurdle practice or I fall in the track me over a hurdle and I'm angry and I'm frustrated. You know, I, re- I know that he thought, what's the point? Like, why do you mm-hmm. put all this effort and time into something and then just get angry? Just don't do it. All right. And it's, it was easy for him to say that because he didn't grow up doing those right. things. You know, he was more concerned about, uh, he grew up on a farm with five brothers. Wow. They all worked on the farm. Uh, they did what, what needed to be done to help the family at home. And that's kind of how he grew up. And that's how he raised us too. He took care of our family in any way, shape or form. However many jobs he had to work, however many hours he had to work. Mm. It wasn't about playing a game. Right. You know what I mean? So I get it. Yeah. So you, um, obviously athletics was a big part of your life growing up through high school as you were getting ready to transition to college to, uh, run track there was, um, coaching in your mindset at this point, or was this still just an activity? So at, at the same time, very few people in my family finished high school, let alone Mm -hmm. went to college and earned a degree, earned a degree. Uh, so it really wasn't much in my head until I became a regional state qualifier in the 300 hurdles as a sophomore. Mm. And then going into my junior year, I started kind of thinking about it. You know, maybe I can't, maybe I'm good enough to go to college and actually run track or maybe even play basketball at a small school. That would be pretty Mm. awesome. Mm -hmm. So I just worked and I worked and I, I also had a phenomenal art teacher, a guy by the name of John Thomas, who I, I still speak to, and he started to say, man, you're, you're incredible. He, he really changed my life in the academic standpoint because of being an art teacher. He said, man, you got to realize at some point, some people are really gifted in reading or comprehension or math or memorizing history or, or whatever. But he said, you're like a Renaissance man. (laughs) You have this intelligence where you can do things, you're extremely athletic, and you can paint, you can draw, you can sculpt. Huh. And it was a it was a moment where I realized it was okay to not be a straight-A kid mm. in chemistry mm-hmm. and in math and all that stuff. But I had this other thing that was my strength. And he made me feel, for the first time in my life, by the way, like I was intelligent. Hmm. So with that conversation... I started to think about being a teacher mm-hmm. and a collegiate athlete. So did- and at the same time, I thought to myself, and he said this, by the way, wouldn't it be cool, man, to be a teacher, to coach and have the summers off? <laughs> <laughs> and, and that was kind of the moment where I decided I really did want to you know, teach high school and try to be a coach. You're like, that is a good idea. <laughs> That's a great idea, man. So did you go, you went to the University of Indianapolis, correct? Yeah, yeah, the yeah. great greyhounds, race greyhounds, racehounds. Yep, that's yep. right. The, the greyhounds. Did you study art there? I ended up going on like three, three or four different art scholarships. Wow. Um, I was pretty gifted as a young kid, but it really, I, I was able to really do a lot of things by the time I was a senior in high school. So I got three or four art scholarships. I I got a thousand dollar 
scholarship for track. You know, that was it. <laughs> right. It was Scott Fangman's yeah. first year. So anybody that knows UND, he's been there for a while now. Yeah. But I was his first recruit ever. Huh. And because of that, you know, it was all new for him too. He he was a high school coach at a place mm. called Southport, um, Southport uh, near Indianapolis and had a lot of success there. Mm-hmm. But he made a home trip. He came all the way to my house. That was a big deal out mm. in little North Liberty, Indiana. <laughs> and uh, I had it narrowed to two schools, and I looked up his kind of coaching history and found out that he coached some really good hurdlers in high school. Mm. So once I knew I could do it cost-wise, you know, working summer jobs and doing whatever I needed to do, and with the art and the track scholarship, I said, I'm doing this. And, hmm. and I did. I went to the University of Indianapolis and pursued an art education degree. Wow. That's interesting. I don't know. I, I can't think of another coach who has an art <laughs> degree. Very, there's very few of them, man. There's yeah. not very many. Wow. So uh, you go there and you race. Uh, you're a foreigner hurdler primarily, and you have a lot of success uh, there. Do you... When you graduate, do you go straight into coaching or uh, teaching and coaching high school? Yes. Okay. Now, what's interesting about going to UND is I didn't even know if I was good enough. In oh, a way. okay. You know, I ran, I had only broken 39 seconds in the 300 hurdles one time. I ran 38.90 mm-hmm. my junior year. So it's always funny to me looking back. I used to run some crazy workouts on my own. So that if I couldn't be a good enough 400 hurdler at the collegiate level, that maybe I could do the steeplechase. Oh, wow. So I would, I would like force myself <laughs> to do repeat miles and like uh, progressive repeat miles where I would like, you know, run a comfortable mile, then then take some rest and run a hard mile and then take one more break and try to beat that as I like doing crazy stuff. But uh, anyway, yeah, now yeah, for, I, sh- I, for sure, you're the only 300 hurdler <laughs> who also as his back his backup plan was oh, maybe i could be a steeplechaser no th- you know, no way that's anybody else <laughs> it's i i had so much desire to be successful in college wow. that i was willing to do whatever it took to be on the track and be um a factor for the team hmm. and i made that decision before i ever got on campus hmm. so yeah, that did lead me to there, but yeah. Wait, so hold on now. Let's go ahead. Did you ever? Did you ever run the steeplechase in college? No, oh, no. Okay. You know the the. <laughs> it went really well. Well, there, I actually got was the uh, freshman of the year in the oh, GLVC. Um, kind of by default, though, is the bad news. <laughs> <laughs> well, how, how by default? There was other freshmen. Well, you had to... <laughs> because I ended up running the one ten hurdles, the four by one relay, the four by four, and the four hundred hurdles. Mm-hmm. But prior, literally prior, like you know, probably a couple days before entries were due, I was not on the four by one. I was probably on the verge of not making the four by four, and my coach had decided to take me out of the highs, the high hurdles because it was going so poorly. Mm. You know, I I really struggled with the increase in height. And it's because in high school, I was such a bad technician and everybody knows this, the coach's hurdle. So I'm sure, you know, if you're a really bad technician, raising three inches is like mm. raising the hurdle a freaking foot. Yeah. So, I mean, I had a couple of races where I lost three step, where I was crashing hurdles. Oh, where, yeah. You know, so anyway, I wasn't even supposed to do it. Well, the, one of the things I take a lot of pride in is I was able to flip the switch a lot of times in big moments. Mm. And I mean, I... I 
lifetime PR in the highs. I ran a really, really good 400 hurdle race. I ran huge legs on both relays and they did well. And the next thing you know, I was freshman of the year. Awesome. That's cool. cool. Yeah. Really cool. Yeah. So anyway, by default, I ran, I guess <laughs> my point is in four events and then I, I did step up well enough to earn the award. Right. Good, good, good. Yeah. There's no default in awards. There's too much talent <laughs> uh, <laughs> for any defaults anymore. That's for sure. So well, let's walk through your high school coaching career. Cause uh, again, we want to make, we want to figure out how did you transition from high school to college coaching? Uh, why you made that decision? I mean, you, you coached high school uh, track for quite a while. Yeah, 14 years. Yeah. Um, you know, just to finish up that little college thing, I ended up, there's probably two things I, I want to say to kind of end this off that transitions me to my coaching career. My junior year, I ran 52.5 in the Eesh. 400 hurdles. Wow. Which, it's gotten a lot stronger since. But at the time, that was the eighth fastest time in the country in D2. Wow. I go to the national meet, and I crash hurdle seven. Oh, of course, seven. Yeah. So hurdle seven on the curve, I crash it hard. You know, I, I feel my head snap onto the track and I look up mm -hmm. and I just see clouds and I'm like, oh, my God, oh. I can't believe this. I just can't believe it, man. All the work I've put in. So but in my head, I literally go. It just wasn't my time. I've got next year. Hmm. So, you know, fast forward to the next year, I get really, really sick. I get hospitalized. I lose like 35 pounds. I um, lose muscle mass, lose strength. I'm just skin and bones. This is during the first week of, of school, by the way, my senior oh, year. Oh, wow. So scrape myself, you know, up. I ended up with a um, extremely rare uh, infection in my esophagus that did not allow me to swallow, not even water. I couldn't swallow anything. So, you know, I, I do the best that I can getting back and i end up missing the national meet by 0 0.02 uh, two, oh, you know, two hundredths of a second um first guy out you know it's just oh. over now the reason i say those two things is because that that took me into high school coaching and from the get-go man i was pretty intense oh meaning you know i came from being a person that i wasn't even sure if i was good enough to run in college to being a national qualifier i right. worked really hard to do that Number two, I knew what it felt like to miss a goal mm. by a hair. And I didn't want anybody that I coached to ever have to go through that feeling. Right. So I was a pretty intense guy. Um, but so yeah, it led me. Tell into... me what that means. Give me an example of, of what you mean by being intense right off the bat as, a, as the coach in high school. I, I was very much so a person that doesn't, I do not allow people to cut corners. Okay. I didn't do it as a captain in college. And I, and I didn't do it as somebody, you know, as a teacher or as a coach. So if I see you, let's say, cutting a lap in mm -hmm. a warm-up, I'm not just going to turn my head and say, hey, that's just what Johnny does. Mm -hmm. If I see you giving an 80% effort on a drill where I expect 100%, I'm not just going to say, you know, that's what Jamie does. It's mm -hmm. not that, you know, that's just how they are. Um, just really detail driven, mm -hmm. um, intensity driven when it's time. And then I just try to really push doing what needs to be done for success and never cutting corners because that corner could be that little piece you needed to get to your ultimate goal. So did you, 
that's interesting what you just said right there that you know the the drill that you cut or the 80% effort versus 100% effort could be the one thing the 0.02 if you will yes that keeps you so did, is was that a, a personal thing for you of like okay did, did you feel like you cut any corners no, I, I know you had that's a good that question back yeah that's a good question i think anyone that would tell you or talk to you about me would say that i'm i was absolutely an overachiever in every single way mm-hmm. in high school and in college I've never cut a corner, a sit-up, a run, a drill in my life that I recall. Mm -hmm. And I would be very surprised if you could ever find a coach or a teammate that would say otherwise. Mm, Okay. Um, And there was a high school kid once that I was coaching my first year that said, you know, I was really trying to get him to do things right. And I was coaching him in the high jump. I coached every event my first year, like most of us. A a high school school. coach. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Coaching this kid in high jump. And I'm literally jumping you know, in between his reps so that I can kind of feel what he goes through, hmm. you know, and I end up jumping like six, three, six, four, Jeez. and I've never jumped in my life, but yeah. like once my sophomore year of high school where I was absolutely terrible. <laughs> so I'm really starting to figure some things out and I'm kind of excited for this kid. Cause this kid's a sophomore in high school and he's jumping six, four. And I'm like, you know, this kid's wow. got a future. Yeah. And I'm explaining things. I've got a lot of enthusiasm. He just looks me dead in the eyes, you know, pupil to pupil and mm-hmm. says, coach, I'm sorry if I'm not gifted like you. <laughs> and I almost punched the Uh-oh. kid in the face. Yeah, I and I didn't. <laughs> but I was so mad because I felt like I had worked for every ounce I'd ever gotten. Hey, this would be a much different interview if you had punched that kid. So thank <laughs> yeah, you for not it would doing be. that. <laughs> so it sounds like it's less about any kind of uh, making up for the things that you did wrong yes, in more of, man, I know what it was like to uh, be disappointed in not hitting my goal. And really it was because of something you had no control over this sickness. So I want to make sure that you athlete don't have that same disappointment. It's not going to yeah. be because of, of me coaching you that you're going to miss your goal. Yes. Right. Mm. I, that's, uh, and that's interesting. You say that because when they fail, I fail. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and when I say that, I take it all to heart. I mean, mm. if they don't run the time they need to, and if I allowed them to cut corners, right. or if I didn't have them do the right things, or if I allowed them to do the wrong things, I always, I, I think, I, I self-reflect and self-analyze a lot on what I could do better for them. Not always, mm-hmm. just what they could do better. But within, uh, and this is a question, but within the things that you have yes. control over, Correct. Yeah, okay. Yep. All right. Yeah. Absolutely. Good. We'd have to have a whole coaching mentor session if you would have said no, because it's like you only control so many things. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So this was that a, a theme? Did that so that you're talking about right at the get go in your very first uh, high school coaching season? You coached for 14 of them. Did you have kind of that same drive on the 14th? Well, in, in, intention to detail that you did on a number one, or or did you I, develop in some ways? I did. I. Th- well, number one, you know, my first year I coached at a small school outside of Indianapolis called Monrovia High School. Yeah. I had eight school records, or our kids had eight school records. Wow. And I was really excited. I was excited about coming back the next season. And one by one over the school year, a kid would come by and be like, Coach, I don't know if I'm going to run this year. Oof. And I was like, what are you talking about? You know, I had a 22-10, 22-11 long jumper. Yeah. A 300 hurdle break to school record. The 
uh, girl broke both the 100 and 300 school record. Um, we had a girl run, I think, 57.8 or something in the <laughs> wow in the 400. You know, at a tiny school, that was yeah. really a big deal in Indiana. And when they started doing that, I'm just like, what are these kids talking about? Like, why, why, would, why would you quit mm-hmm. something that's going so well? Well, and as that's happening, I got this guy who's, you know, a Hall of Fame coach at Bloomington High School North saying, hey, why don't you come, why don't you come join me? Because I lived in Bloomington. Mm. Why, don't you, why don't you come join me and coach on my staff? So as those kids kept saying that, I decided to teach at one school and drive to coach track at Bloomington High School North. Oh, wow. And I, di- I kept that drive as an assistant and then... I had a a year where I ended up coaching at Columbus North High School, which is a whole nother mm-hmm. story mm-hmm. because I got uh, I got let go or rift three years in a row teaching. Mm-hmm. It's a reduction in faculty. I didn't know if I was going to have my teaching job back the next year. Hmm. So I was having to come up with a plan of, okay, if, if I don't get my job back, what am I going to do? All right. So I went there for a year and then I came back and I was head coach at Bloomington High School North. But I did. I kept that that same intensity and desire and passion. And I, I would say I still have it to this very day. Mm-hmm. So um, you, you do this for 14 years at a, at a few different schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're doing other things such as coaching at some clinics or at some camps and things like that. What is, so the, there's coaches right now that are listening that are college coaches, their whole, career uh, have never taught high school and, and coached high school what are uh, thinking about don't get into the college side so much right now but okay. thinking about your 14 years of experience what are some things that people just don't realize happen in the high school coaching side uh, struggles and, and things like that what the first thing that people don't know about high school coaching that have never done it in their life is the time commitment. Hmm. Um, you know, you're teaching all day. People forget you have kind of the eight to three job and then you have the practice and then you have sometimes meets um, on during the week and on the weekends. So you got this huge time commitment. You've also got your, for me, I was really passionate about teaching and coaching Mm-hmm. So I had built up this really, uh, after I was at Monrovia for six years teaching, I also got a job teaching at Bloomington High School North, where I was coaching uh, track at the time. And I I got a brand new program, which was a digital photography program. I'm trying to be a phenomenal teacher in that, wow. which I did. We built a national caliber program and I got kids going all over the country to schools with scholarships, won national awards very cool thing wow. so you're trying to do that piece and mentor and inspire and you know lead your classroom per se mm-hmm. then you're trying to build this championship team mm-hmm. um and in my mind by the way i would i had specific goals for myself i wanted to help one of these bloomington one of these bloomington north high school teams win a state title mm-hmm. and by the way when i say that i was so invested into the school that I didn't care what team it was. So I coached, I coached a uh, high school track. I also coached football for four or five seasons. <laughs> and I also coached some basketball there. Oh, wow. And, and I was in for a while towards the end of my stand, I did some, uh, 
speed and agility development with any program that wanted to be involved. Mm-hmm. So I just mm-hmm. tried to do a lot of things to help make that happen. And there are some limitations though in high school coaching and some challenges that are different than college in this way. You, you don't totally control who you're working with mm. in terms of how strong they are academically whether or not their parents do or do not support them or whether they're too involved, you know, things like that. Um, But one of the things I realized, man, is that I probably wasn't at a school that had the genetic capability of winning a state team title. Hmm. And that was one of the hardest things for me to swallow Mm -hmm. because that's what I wanted to do. And you're talking about coaching high school in Indiana yes. where there's one class, one class, right? Yeah. This isn't, you know, I, I grew up, I went to high school in Alabama. We had, when I was there, we had six, and I think it's up to seven now, which yeah. is ridiculous. Yes. There's more people in Indianapolis than there are in the whole state of <laughs> Alabama. And, and you've got one class, everybody against everybody. That's yeah, right. I, I love it that way too, by the way. <laughs> and I do too. And I played basketball that way and mm-hmm. I loved it. And, and I enjoyed coaching that way, but we're going against, a fantastic coach like Tim Ritchie at Lawrence Central. We're Mm -hmm. going against uh, Mike Davidson at at Ben Davis High School, who's had, you know, New Balance National 4x100 teams. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we just couldn't do it. Sure. But at the same time, I felt myself changing lives Mm -hmm. and, you know, just helping get people to where they wanted to get. So, you know, I, I did some things that made me feel good. And, I, and I, I was telling you earlier about, you know, I had this kid in my class who knew some of my visions. He knew my passion. He knew my expectations. And he really connected with me. And, and I did a lot of things in my class to inspire and motivate just human beings in general. Mm-hmm. So even though I was a track guy, everybody knew that, like, Coach Clark, you know, he's, he's going to make you work. But, you know, you, you're going to want to do a good job at anything. And, mm that was always a, a big goal to inspire people in whatever they wanted to pursue. But I had this kid in class named uh, Max Irwin who I connected with a lot. He, he worked really hard for me in his senior year. He said, coach, I'm going to, after swimming's over, I'm going to come run for you. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's crazy, man. You, you've never run track before. Have you? Right. <laughs> it's like, no. And I said, well, that's great, man. Well, this is what I knew about the kid. He was a really good swimmer not just good, but really good. He was nationally ranked. He had some national medals. He had won multiple state championships in swimming. So, you know, I was like, all right, man, we'll we'll do it. When you're done, let me know. So he finishes high school swimming, wins like three more state titles or whatever it was. He totaled, I I think he ended with a total of seven. And Indiana has a really strong high school swimming program. (laughs) Yep. And and Bloomington North actually has one, you know, probably if I had to guess, they probably have about a, you know, a top 10 program in the state of Indiana. Wow. So he did well there. He finishes his club season. He comes out and tries to run and we agree that he's going to try the 800. Yeah. Okay. I was wondering what event do you put a swimmer? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He tried the 800 and he did pretty well. I mean, his first one ever. I think the kid ended up running like, I want to say 207. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So the, and we had some kids during my time that were in 150, uh, 152, one, you know, a ton of 154 to 156 guys. So, you know, in my eyes as a head coach at the time, I'm like, this guy's going to progress down and watch by the end, you know, he's going to do well. Well, let me tell you, we all (laughs) know this, but, you know, not everybody is 
not only are they not built for running, mm. but if you haven't done it and progressed it over time, like your body doesn't adapt well. Right. And he had major knee problems, and we both agreed mm-hmm. that it wasn't worth sacrificing his college career and right. injury and all this. So he stepped away, and I totally, you know, shook hands and said, "Man, I totally agree. You're doing the mm-hmm. right thing. You're not quitting, by the way. Mm-hmm. We're making mm-hmm. a choice that this is not the right thing for you." Mm-hmm. So moving forward, though, to the next year, at some point, he's got a little brother in high school. He brings mm-hmm. brings a little folded up piece of paper. Um, to my classroom with a little box and i'm like hey man uh what's this and he's like this is for my brother and i said oh okay thanks. his brother's now in college his brother has graduated and went to the indiana university went to indiana university he's now swimming in the big 10 oh yeah that's a great program yeah <laughs> so yeah you know national caliber program yeah. and i opened this little piece of paper i started reading it by the way in my classroom all right and i can tell immediately that I got to leave my classroom. Uh-oh. <laughs> it's the, gonna, the it's a, I can already tell. Up? Yeah, it's a mm. tearjerker, man. Mm-hmm. You know, and he just says things like, you know, you're a huge inspiration to me. I wish, I just wish more pe- teachers had your passion for people. Mm. Um, you want to inspire us to do whatever we want to do, like whatever choice that is. Um. And it's a front and back handwritten paper. Mm-hmm. So I'm in my office. I'm just reading this thing. And I'm just like, oh, my God, oh, this is incredible. Yeah. And, you know, some tears flowing in a sure. good way. Yeah. And I open the box and it's a state championship ring. From when he was swimming. From, from when he swam his senior year. You know, like I said, I think the kid won seven state championships. He knew what my goal was to yeah. win state rings with my team for my team and whatnot, because I was never able to do that as a high school kid. And this dude, you know, wins a state title, gets orders his state ring, by the way, with my name engraved in it. Oh, jeez. You know, so I'm looking at this ring and, you know, it's a swimming, swimming uh, championship state ring and it's got my name in it and stuff. And it was really powerful because I had a state ring, which was always one of the goals, Mm -hmm. but I didn't, get it in the way that I thought I would get it. Right. Yeah. So right, it's really magical right. and really special. And I wore it at a lot of meets for about five years in a row to remember mm-hmm. how important my impact was on these people. On you people. Know, on these, That's right. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. People. That might be the greatest 207 half miler state championship ring story <laughs> ever. That's, right. That is so cool. Honestly, you know, to me, uh, it, you know, we're here interviewing you, Ernie, and obviously, you know, again, the impact of people is the the real meat of what you just said there, and that's amazing. Yep. But honestly, this story is on both sides. That kid to understand what you were pouring into him and how much you cared, and I mean, dude, think about it. This kid was a 17, 18 year old kid. We know enough exactly. 17, 18 year old kids that he could be so aware of what was important to you. And then be selfless enough. I don't care if he won seven titles. A state championship ring ain't easy to come by. We all right. know this. I totally agree. To give the and, and have the fourth uh, site to give it to you know he engraved it with your name. That is what. Tell me is that it, kid. Tell me that kid's like a CEO of some company or uh, public servant I'll somewhere. Tell you what, that kid has I, I did, done some great things. He was a brilliant kid. He was yeah. really intelligent, and I think that was one of the reasons I was so touched by it is because. Just like what you're saying, I understood how old he was. Mm-hmm. 
And I know how we are at that age. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to put our rings up on the shelf and mm-hmm. you know, kind of it's like, look what I did. Look how good I am. It's about me. hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah, and so that it was really touching and powerful. Uh, and I, I did follow him through his collegiate career and we've been in cut in touch a couple times, but I know he got his degree and did really well. He did extremely well. Of course. In swimming. Did. I think they won a big 10 title um, as a team, which I remember was huge for him. Mm-hmm. That's, that was one of the, um, last collegiate um times that we had talked but Mm. yeah pretty magical man yeah no doubt that kid is doing something uh to affect other people's lives right now and uh, a lot of that has to do with people like you he obviously had to have some other mentors and coaches on the swimming world and maybe his parents but people like you poured into him as well that could see the type of impact you can make on the world regardless of what our um extra uh, external successes are you know the rings and the paychecks and those kind of things yep. like affecting people's lives that's that's a great story man i love that we got to find we got to use the power of the internet and social media and find this guy now he's not even a kid i yeah, I, I know this kid is doing some big things i just know he is there's I, no way i do too yeah. I, I guarantee you that he Golly. is so as you go through coaching high school and obviously both sides are making impact. You're making impact on young kids, 14 to 18, and, and they're making impacts on, on your life. Which they they are. That's right. You and molding you. When did the itch start to start thinking about, well, maybe I should or could coach college. So for me, it was right after that. Mm. Um, because right after that, I had, I had gotten, you know, we had a team that placed sixth in the state. I had some state champs. I had built uh, what I called the elite hurdle club. I had started actually doing hurdle camps. Like I had all this mm. stuff going and it was all going pretty well. And, and I don't, I, I've always taught this way and I've always talked this way. If you're not passionate about it, find something that you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. You either got to find it back or you got to find something else. Mm-hmm. And I was still very passionate about coaching and teaching. Well, let me rephrase. I started to lose my passion for teaching. Mm. And you taught, you taught art this whole time. So I'm kind of, yeah, this whole time. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're losing a little bit of passion of that, which has been a big deal for you since high school now. Yeah. And part okay. of it was that it was kind of the repeat, like kind of the same, same similar stuff mm. year after year, year after year. And I had done a good job of progressing. I got a master's degree from the Savannah college, but art and design, mm. Um, in 2010 so that was a big deal that's a top five art school in the world oh I I did it all online but Uh it was extremely intense Mm -hmm. Um, high level professors high level classmates Um, and I did that to do to become a better teacher in this digital photography program Mm -hmm. and I progressed again from there but you know after a couple years I just wasn't feeling what I had once as a teacher Mm -hmm. For that reason, but also number two, like all of a sudden for administrators, they're getting this pressure about what grade is your school? What are mm. our exact attendance rates? You know, and, um, so that became a focus. What are our what are our I-step scores? That's more important than your, your test scores in like math and science, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. And we, we mm. started to, as school systems, to veer away kids from things like a photography career. Mm hmm. Because that doesn't look as good to the school 
as sending kids to college, number mm-hmm. one. Number two, sending them to a college for mathematics mm-hmm. or to be a lawyer or to mm. be the, to, you know, to do whatever. Right, right. The traditional, the traditional successful medical, thing. Yeah. Right. right you know, right. What, what we traditionally perceive as successful. Now, right. you got to remember, man, my dad's a mechanic. My dad's <laughs> right. been a carpenter. Uh, he's worked ground, you know, I've worked grounds, crews. My yeah. mom's, I mean, my mom freaking, I remember when I was real little, she milked cows. She oh, worked geez. in factories. <laughs> you know, so, like, I'm almost offended, man. Right. When you tell me that success only means this, like, I get offended. Well, I, so, think, we're, I think we're certainly learning that lesson, lesson yeah, today. Right now. When we talk about essential versus Absolutely. non-essential workers. Uh, thank God there are stock boys and yep. cash register Everything. Uh, people and uh, gas attendant mechanics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yep. uh, that is what is keeping this world going right now. And everything else has stopped. <laughs> so, and, and I can tell you, everything you've just said, someone in my family does or has mm. done. So thank goodness for them. So I, I started, you know, I truly believe if a kid example, if a kid wants to frame houses and that's his passion, Mm -hmm. brother, go do that. Absolutely. Treat people the right way. Work really hard at doing it. And and you frame the most freaking amazing houses ever. Hey, thank you. And I'm fine with it. Thank God for that kid and his passions, because one, uh, that's not my passion. I can't do that to save my life. Correct. And two, I don't get to be in my house right now if it's not for that kid. Same for you, you know? Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. What a great perspective. Yeah. So anyway, when we started, I felt like we kind of were veering, like saying that every kid had to go to college and every Mm. kid had to go kind of towards this, this money career path. Mm Mm-hmm. I was starting to not like it. And then parents, by the way, were becoming more involved to the mm. point where it was more about their opinion than the professional's opinion. What, what year is this roughly? Oh, you're, you're looking at um, in the 2011, 12, okay. 13 right. range. Yep. Right. Good. And remember, I've been rift now like two or three oh, times. Oh, right. Yep. So it, which got me interested in like looking kind of to the next place anyway mm-hmm. so i had not only had i looked at another school to coach at but i started really thinking about the college thing mm-hmm. and pretty much i just kept getting like well you know you've done a good job we actually know who you are but you don't have any college coaching experience mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's all i kept running into you're great but you have no college coaching experience mm-hmm. Yeah, when I, uh, we were talking earlier, when I used to, I was a college chair coach, and I used to coach a lot of level one schools for USATF, and the number one, I mean, invariably, the number one question coming from high school coaches was, how do I coach college? Now, some of those guys and gals were teachers at school systems like Naperville and Downers Grove, and I'm like, you are making way more money <laughs> uh, than you ever will <laughs> coaching college, and they get to go home. You don't have to worry about recruiting, things like that. Like, you don't coach college. Stay, stay where you are. You're doing a fantastic job, mm-hmm. but we, we drive into this ego of, well, I coach college. I coach at Ashland. I coach at Indiana, um, but you're getting told, because obviously you have some contacts on the college side. You ran there, and you probably sent kids to plenty of colleges. You're getting told kind of repeatedly of like, yeah, yeah, but you don't have any experience. Right. Mm. And I, so I, I, and I started to travel. Like I went down to Houston for the USTF CCCA convention, mm-hmm. you know, and of course learned from, you know, all the big names that, that we all have. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to Chicago and did the same thing. And then I started going to colleges. I went to Purdue. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I had went to IU probably um, 30 times over a span of, <laughs> of a few years just to watch their practice and mm-hmm. ask them questions. And by the way, I did that in every event, not just where my focus was, but mm. in every event to learn. Um, I went down to Kentucky and I saw a lady named Althea Thomas, oh, who's yeah. now at Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but she was coaching there at the time um, and learned from her. And, oh, and she's awesome. She's fantastic, and, right. And has a, I mean, you, you may not know this, uh, some people who know Althea know this, you know, has a coaching family history. Her dad. Yes, her dad. Oh, mm-hmm. man. One of the greatest people. There was literally just an article the other day that University of Georgia did on her and uh, and the other head coach, who's amazing as well, Petros, had so many good things to say about her. Uh-huh. And he was he's spot on. Athea is just not only amazing coach. Take a step back. She's an amazing person. Incredible so, human yeah. being, right? I'm yeah. glad you got an experience with her. That's awesome. Yes. And, and her and I still stay in touch. You know, not a ton, but just yeah. a little, just enough to know where we are and what's mm-hmm. going on. And good. We'd just spoken about the national meet and what she was hoping for and what I was hoping for. And of course, all that got yeah. squashed. But so, but as I went around, I kept realizing that I wasn't having moments where I was learning big things. I kept having confirmation that I knew I, I had enough knowledge to help a lot of people mm. be, be really good. Mm-hmm. So it, it just raised my confidence. Um, to try to pursue that next level. It was part of pursuing the next level. Um, not, not only the, you know, there is some ego side to it. You have, if you understand your ego, you understand that there is some ego to go into the college level, to coach in the college level. Uh, but was it also, and you talked about getting away from teaching. Was it, was there also some aspect of challenging yourself? Like, okay. So here, so here's yeah. what I remember. Uh-huh. This is what I remember in particular. I, so I ran with the Indian Invaders Track Club after oh, I graduated wow, in Indianapolis. I had forgotten all about those guys. Yeah. yeah. Like, it, it wasn't like a really long thing, but a guy was there named John McAfee that ran at Baylor University. Yeah. He's a 44-point, uh, 4 by 4 split guy. He ran the 400 hurdles in 49-5-ish. Yep. Well, he for some reason, man, he came to Indianapolis to train, and I literally did everything with him that mm-hmm. summer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I could, I would always fall back a little bit on training, especially in the speed stuff, but hurdle wise, I mean, he would just praise me, Hmm. man, unbelievable. You're just, you're about to take off, man. Hmm. And I just remember sitting on the high jump mat with him talking race strategy and talking drills. And the guy just praised me up and down for being able to use both legs really well and all this (laughs) stuff. Yeah. But dude, when it came down to let's run these, you know, one fifties or just flat out two hundreds. This dude left me like I was, <laughs> like I was, you know, walking. Yeah, he was pretty so, good. <laughs> yeah, he was pretty good. And what I came to realize is, man, I just don't have the genetic component. Mm-hmm. You know, forget my work ethic, forget my determination. I don't have the genetic capacity to stay with this guy. Mm-hmm. Like I'm done. So I ran a couple of meets that summer, and I and I swallowed that. But I started to get an itch at this time to help people again do what I could not do, mm-hmm. which is do things like run at the USA Championships, run, get to the Olympic trials, maybe even get to the Olympic Games someday. And I knew I could not do that as a high school coach. Mm. So that, you know, 
Mm. I wouldn't call that ego. Mm-hmm. I would mm-hmm. say like, I, it's kind of like what you're saying. I was ready to, for that next step or that mm-hmm. next challenge for myself. Mm-hmm. So how did the Ashland opportunity come around? And was that even the first opportunity that, that occurred, but obviously it was the first one that succeeded. You, you went on to Ashland. So I bet for about at least three years, if not even up to five, um, I tried to, um, and I really mean this, weasel my way on the staff at IU, <laughs> even as a volunteer, by the way, uh-huh. I didn't care. Right. <laughs> um, I, I applied for jobs anywhere within the surrounding kind of four or five hours. Uh-huh. And it, it really just wasn't going anywhere. Scott Fangman from UND knew that I was ready. I'd brought it up to him, you know, two or three years in a row. Mm-hmm. And uh, after the state meet, man, my, that, that final year that I ended up coaching, um, let's see, that was maybe 2013, 2014. I can't even remember what year right now. Mm-hmm. I think it was 2014. He literally saw me at the state meet and said, hey, man, we're going to meet and we're going to talk about your next opportunity. Cause I think I'm ready. I know you're trying to get in mm-hmm. and I think I'm ready. So he ends up offering me a jumps position at the university of Indianapolis mm. with over the next month or so. So over the summer, I actually accept this job as a jump coach, but it's only going to pay like nickels and dimes. Welcome so to college still, coaching. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm still going to live in Bloomington. I still have to teach, mm-hmm. but I can resign my high school coaching gig and I can drive there and start coaching college, mm-hmm. you know, and, and in my mind, that's going to kickstart it. Right. So, you know, I, I did, I accepted that job. I resigned from coaching at the high school level and I was pretty excited, but I was kind of nervous mm-hmm. uh, because it's, they already had a hurdle coach, by the way, and mm. hurdling was in my mind, kind of my thing. Yeah. That's your passion for sure. They had, yep. They had Giles Davis <laughs> who had, had tons oh. of success there. Yeah. <laughs> he was my sprint coach who I really looked up to. Cool. Um, I'd bounce ideas off him for years, by the way. Mm-hmm. So that's a mentor of mine. So I'm stepping in there. I can't do, can't do sprints. And by the way, I don't want to, I'm not trying to step on any toes or take anyone's job. Right. So you're the jumps guy. Well, I had coached, you know, I've been coaching jumps for 14 years now at the high school level. Mm-hmm. I always coached long jump for my entire high school coaching career. And I coached high jump some. Mm-hmm. So I felt pretty comfortable in doing it. Well, we get, as soon as we get into conditioning, man, a guy calls me by the name of Ed Bethia. <laughs> yeah. Now, first of all, as a high school guy, when Ed, when a guy like Ed Bethia calls you, who's had some like, you know, 51, 52 second, 400 girls. Um, he's had some incredible 100, uh, 100 meter hurdle girls. He's had some like 303, 304 oh, yeah. <laughs> men's four by fours. He's been the head coach at Ohio State. Mm-hmm. You know, just got this whole resume. He calls me. You better believe I was pretty excited. Absolutely. And he's like, he's like you know, I just want to explore an opportunity with you. And he's brand new coach back at IU. Um, he left Ohio State to come to IU. He was at, at IU prior to taking the Ohio State job. Right. So he's essentially coming back to work with uh, Ron Helmers, who's still mm-hmm. the head coach there. And he he comes to Bloomington North to sit in my classroom and talk to me during a, an off period. Huh. 
and essentially he's sitting there and I feel like he's recruiting me. You're right. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> to be a volunteer coach under him. And he, I wish I could paint this picture. I'm sitting in this high school classroom, you know, and this guy walks in, he's got the Adidas IU hat on the Adidas polo, the Adidas pants, Adidas shoes. And he's trying to talk me into working with him. Are you kidding me? Like <laughs> if I'm going to work with you and Ron Helmer, who's a hall of fame guy. Yep. To work with Big Ten athletes, like, I'm already in. Sign me up. <laughs> and his big thing was, I know you're not making very much at UND. I know you want to become a college coach. I'm not finding any, any negative about you. Mm. I need somebody that can come in and help me turn this program around, that can run a practice, not be their friend, mm-hmm. have some knowledge, and I need you to do it the way that I want you to do it, not the way that you want you to do it. Okay. And, and I need to know if you're mature enough to do that. Easy for me. It's not even a, not even a, a, a question. Right. So I did it. Wow. That was, that's got to be a great experience. I've known Ed for a long time. And he definitely, you, you hit that nail on the head when you talk about doing it his way. Yep. He, ha- he has a way that has been proven, by the way, year over year over year, uh, to go in and be able to learn him and his system and how he coaches yep. people. And I'll tell you what, too, being a high school coach uh, – and I don't care if it's high school or not, but being a high school head coach, knowing how I want things to be done and having to fire some coaches, even if they're a volunteer, by the way, that mm. wanted to veer off and do their own thing or whatever, mm. that was a valuable experience. I had no intention of kind of doing it a different way. Like, mm-hmm. sir, if this is how you want to do it, this is how we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think I was a very good assistant to him in that regard. Just in that experience as a head head high school coach helped them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, how many years did you work with Ed there? So I worked with Ed for one full season. Yeah. I was there for a year and a month. Yeah, actually, almost exactly. And um, learning about the recruiting process and learning from just really some good discussions with Ron Helmer about. Mm-hmm. Um, Kind of his journey, by the way, because he used to be a high school coach before he he was a college coach. Oh, okay. As well, so his his information was valuable in that regard and in in training. Mm-hmm. Um, but I learned a lot from those guys. Mike Herb is a jumps coach there, yeah, coach as great well. Guy. So like getting Corey Martin, the throws coach. Oh. I mean, I just got all these little pieces that were you can't even put a price on right. the experience and conversations. Um, that, that I had over the years with these guys. So anyway, set me up well. And I got offered this Ashland job, hmm. which is a full-time position, you know, benefits. Yeah. Office. First full-time gig. Yeah. Yeah, man. The, the, the control to do what you want to do. Um, it, it, that's, that's, that's the transition that happened in the, the, you already know this, but the piece that people don't know mm-hmm. is I took, I took a 50% pay cut. Like I make half. Mm you know, mm-hmm. to do this. But Ron Helmer was very influential in that, that regard because he told me he had to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And now he's a Big Ten head coach, and he has been for years. Mm-hmm. He said, if you really want to do this, you're going to have to do something like this. That's right. just how it goes. Yeah. And Brooks Johnson told me that years ago, too. Um, hmm. 
Brooks Johnson coached what David Oliver and a ton of people oh, way could, before him. We'd be here for an hour if we only listed the people that Brooks yes. worked with. Yeah. But I remember him telling me, "You're gonna have to quit." And he said it was lots mm-hmm. of cuss words mixed in. But he <laughs> oh, said, good. You do know you, Brooks. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> he said you're gonna have to give that up, man, and you're gonna yeah. have to commit. You're gonna have to go learn from some people and get some experience, and then work your way up. That's the mm-hmm. only way. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, those those two guys made me realize what I had to do. So, and the cool thing is, you know, very lucky working your way up. You you go to Ashland University, by the way. It's not like you went to a, a fledgling program. You went to an extremely successful program with a legendary Hall of Fame head coach in right. its own right, and Judd Logan. Yeah. So you've been there this would have uh, well this is i you know we're not going to have yeah. an outdoor season we're this will be this is your fifth season is that it's correct it's my fifth season yeah man so i just i just finished a group that you know have been here for four years that were my recruits that oh, signed with me and right so it's kind of a hard ending yeah but you know this is what i have you know without uh, without another way of saying it, this is kind of what i have built mm-hmm. in my time here with with my own people that i've chosen so you a i'm doing air quotes here high school coach you go to ashland university i I can't even name all the all americans and national you know pringle uh to the kid you have i I can't remember his name your kid just got national athlete of the year runner of the year trevor bassett yeah trevor yeah you've had some amazing success what translated from what you learned coaching high school to coaching college so the you know i talked about the whole leadership thing the first thing i tried to do is be a good leader and i'm gonna i'm gonna mention an old story yeah what's what's leadership mean to you we talked about this a little bit yeah i I think i I think leadership is actually underrated a lot of times and Mm. and when i say that i don't mean that people out here aren't being good leaders but i think you got to model it you got to speak it you've got to try to uplift and inspire even when you don't feel like it. Mm. Let me just put it that way. So going all the way back to my high school days of when I was thinking about, you know, coaching and and being able to go to college and all this stuff, I had a, I I ended up being as a junior on the JV basketball team, which really frustrated me by by the way. And that was your first love was basketball. Yes. My first love and and my best friend, by the way, is the MVP on the varsity Mm. team. And, we play together all the time and, you know, one-on-ones, I can take this guy sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just, I feel like I'm a pretty good player, but mm-hmm. obviously by the way, I'm not because <laughs> I'm splitting time between <laughs> JV and varsity. Right. So, and one of the, the head coach said, you know, one of the reasons is I need you to learn how to be a leader and be a scorer. Mm. Now at the time I didn't get, I didn't care what the reason was. I just wanted to know how I could be a varsity player. Mm-hmm. So I'm splitting time, and I'm with this little JV group that's mostly freshmen and sophomores, as you would expect. But the the JV coach did a really good job of always pushing me to be a good leader. You know, you got to motivate them. you got to pick them up when they're down and just all this stuff. Now, it's kind of funny, like looking back, you know, being able to score 22 points in a game or, you know, uh, leading in rebounds and assists and – points and stuff like that was you know that was kind of cool looking back but i didn't really see that at the time uh-huh. i just saw it as me being on jv but during that time that coach really pushed me 
to lead this group. And um, in practice, he would always move me back and forth on teams. Huh. And I never really understood that until one day. One day he said, Clark, you're going to be with this group of guys. And here's the other group. And it was pretty obvious. He had the very best five <laughs> on one team. And then he, he had the very worst four <laughs> plus me. Right. He got, you know, to the, the better group, he said, you guys are going to start tomorrow. Uh, we're going to go through some things right here. And we start going through it. And I, I just kept finding myself encouraging my guys and, and instructing and, you know, just trying to be a good leader mm-hmm. and kind of like a general of the court. And my guys, my group, kept kicking the snot out of the oh. other group. We kept stopping them. We kept scoring. And, and the, the JV coach was getting really frustrated. Oh. And he finally just goes, you know what? Forget it. You guys, this group is starting tomorrow. Wow. You guys can't get it done. You know, and, and I, it was a kind of a switch for me because I kept seeing it on guys' faces where I was getting them to believe in themselves, so to they, get through mistakes. They were the least athletically the least, talented. Yep. They were the be- least experienced, least talented, least everything. But because of leadership and someone taking charge and taking responsibility, they were actually able to give it to the quote-unquote best five out there. Yep, and, wow. and I'll never forget that because it was the first. It was the first time in my life. You got to remember, I'm 17 years old. Right. Yeah. It's the first time in, I, in my life where I realized my actions and my words and my um, kind of enthusiasm and my tone mm-hmm. could drastically impact people. Mm. And it was a turning point in my life for leadership. So and I did, tried to take that with me yeah, for the rest so, of my life. Yeah, what did you take from that? Interesting, it was at a 17-year-old level, not a, a 23 or, th- you know, when we are supposedly yep. more mature and more experiences. What did you take from that that you utilize in these past five years to create the success that you've had? So going into this group, you know, I noticed right away that some of their confidence was down. You know, this group had gone through two coaches. Mm. You know, I was their third in three years. Uh, some of them had actually gotten worse, not necessarily to their own fault, but because of changes in programs. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first thing I had to do was teach. I, I, I really tried hard to teach them what we needed to do, always with a um, like only focus on their progress. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about what's necessarily wrong in making you run slower than you want what's wrong and what can we fix to make it better i always had enthusiasm to get better Hmm. um it wasn't stressful it was expect i this is what's interesting to me one of the guys said to me the reason you made us so so much better so quick is because you didn't like your expect that was your expectation like there was Mm. no other there was no like, well, you're going to cut corners and stay down there or there, you're not going to be able to make excuses. You expect us to come to work every day and get better. There's no, mm-hmm. other, there's no other alternative. So I think I did that. And I think I just encouraged a lot. Um, I don't think it was magic workouts. I think it was. <laughs> it usually isn't. It was, <laughs> and it, no, it usually yeah. isn't. That's what a lot of people want is the magic workouts. Right. But I think the fact that I was very technical and I could show them things on videos I think that I learned how to teach things 
really well in big groups as a high school coach and as a teacher, as an educator, that helped me. And then, yeah, just this high level enthusiasm uh, with high expectations and staying consistent with that, by the way. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the things I learned from Ed Bethia. My expectations are never going to lower for you. Mm. And that's something that I, I had with that first group. So my, my first year, Miles Pringle ran 4603. <laughs> um, I had a guy that kind of ran 21.8 in the 200 a lot. He ended up run, running like 21.15 or 21.19. Wow. Um, I had a really good four-by-one group that went to the national meet with two walk-ons, by the way, on that team. Oh, wow. So, you know, things just – started strong but not great mm -hmm. um but not everyone liked me by the way oh yeah because well, not everyone wants to be held accountable i was about to say my on a daily basis yeah i would say my experience has been the good coaches the good to great coaches uh are not liked by everybody mm -hmm. ed bethia yep. who i would consider a friend and coached uh with him at some of the uh, summer camps at indiana uh i think he would tell you he is not liked by everybody <laughs> no he's uh, not but i tell you what when and, kid, and he's okay with it exactly when a kid goes from 14 flat in the 100 hurdles to 13 flat yes. they like him a little better then yeah, <laughs> yeah right and, and i would say that about guys like myself and others mm -hmm. you either love us or you hate us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but usually the people that end up hating us are the people that won't stick with it. Right. That don't want to be held accountable. Yeah. People that need don't some excuses. That. Yeah. Well, so I shouldn't say that. I, I said people don't want to be held accountable. That, that's actually not correct. People who want to be successful want to be held accountable. Mm -hmm. People who want to hide in the, the corners, uh, do their own thing, which are, is not always the right things. That's the type of people who don't want accountability. If you look at the bulk of the kids that you've had uh, out there that have done well, they're the ones who wanted that accountability of being at practice, being on yep. time. Uh, what you mentioned earlier, uh, call me out when I run 80% of an effort when you're expecting 100. Yep. That's the guys and gals that go on to be athletically and academically and socially successful out there. So are, are you, are you much of a reader at all, Ernie? I read, I really like leadership type. Yeah. Books, have you, especially, have you read this made me think about this and it's a, it actually is, is kind of a basketball story. So I thought maybe if you haven't read it, you would enjoy this. Uh, and maybe some other people out there might enjoy it. Have you ever read a book called lead for God's sake? I haven't. Oh, you got, as soon as I this is look as soon it. as it's over, we can't go to library. Order it off of Amazon. <laughs> yeah, I can order it's it. Lead for God's sake. The author's name is Todd Gonger. Todd actually spoke at the uh, US TFCCA convention uh, a year or two ago. Now it wasn't last year; okay. so it was two years ago. Uh, it's a parable story of basketball. It's, it's in, in Kentucky, uh, which is, you know, the rival of Indiana for high school yeah, basketball. Right. Absolutely. Uh, and yes. talking about, you know, uh, purpose over passion, passion, passion over purpose. Uh, right. And, and it's an amazing story. I got to meet Todd at the convention uh, and, and did a little bit of an interview with him. I was going to interview him for a podcast. I got to get him on this podcast. Um, but you, if you're a reader, you'll enjoy it because it's about leadership. And then also it's around your, your, your first love basketball. Uh, but even if you're listening right now and you're not a basketball fan, uh, if you, 
can think if you believe leadership is important to your career, whether it's uh, you're a teacher, a coach, a mentor, a husband, a wife, uh, a father, a son, mother, this book, I can't plug it enough. Uh, it, it's just full of leadership, uh, parable and really down to earth, actionable items that you can put in to play with your family, your program, and your friends. So uh, Lead for God's Sake by Todd Gonger. You, you got to – Nice. You, you absolutely have to go do it. And, and now knowing the author, Todd, met him, it's, it just means even more to me. Because um, I'm with you. I believe leadership is a, a huge – uh, part of life that is uh, not talked about a lot. We talk about who scores the most in basketball, who's the fastest on For the sure. track, who mm-hmm. who made a 4.0 and things like that. And we, we do discount because it's a little bit harder to define sometimes. Correct. But you Agreed. know it when you see it. Uh, and guys yeah, and, like and, Ed and guys like you, you see that leadership. Yeah, and you're. it's not always that your MVP mm-hmm. is your greatest leader. That's right. But it's easier to hand that award yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. It's and that happens a lot. Um, and, and I even still remember I was voted my team captain my junior year of college, which was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Why? Because there's a bunch of seniors that didn't get voted. <laughs> right, right. Right. And I took a lot of pride in that. And I tried to apply some of those same principles. I tried to be a good leader all the time, both with my words and my actions, mm-hmm. by the way. In college, I didn't, you know, I drank, I think, a couple times my freshman year and I never did again mm-hmm. because of the goals I had. Um, I went from a guy who had a 2.8 GPA in high school to as high as a 3.7 in wow in college yeah. and made made the dean's list twice, um, and I didn't miss classes. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't show up late. Hmm. I could I could lead and never cut corners, but I did some of those things as a leader because I took it seriously, <laughs> and that that definitely though has carried over into my um, coaching career. And it's a lot easier, by the way, to lead and have those conversations if you're following that with your own actions oh right well it, it may be yeah. impossible if you're not the other side yeah you, but you a know? lot of people try it though. yeah a lot of people try to do that. that's not leadership that uh, that's a um a pig with lipstick right that's someone who says <laughs> what you should that do <laughs> but God. behind the lipstick it's a pig man you ain't a leader yeah i think yeah that's pretty plain there uh so let's let's let you um give examples of your leadership. Let's talk to that high school coach right now that's listening. What, what recommendations, what would you suggest to someone who is coaching high school, whether that's their first year or 20th year, and they have a passion to coach on the collegiate level, what advice might you give them? So this is, this is the first thing I'm going to say. I'm actually going to criticize a little bit college coaches and no one's allowed to take this personal though, because You don't know it unless you coached high school for years. Mm, All right. Interesting. So, you know, for any high school coach, one of the first things I would say is lead with enthusiasm and passion all the time Mm -hmm. because kids follow that. And the younger they are, I think the more important that is Mm. because as they get to college, sometimes they're not doing the team breakdowns. They have, they have fragmented practices Mm -hmm. and they've got fragmented, uh, team meetings and all this stuff where in high school it's all together take advantage of that and create an enthusiastic culture Hmm. so that everybody knows this is actually you know everybody looks at track as a as a individual sport and i totally disagree it's only individual if you make it individual Hmm. i like to look at it as a team sport 
um, and do everything I can to create a bond between the team. Because if you start running and throwing and jumping for your team, all of a sudden it, it allows you to find levels that you couldn't find when you're only focused on you and your foul or your time. Mm. You just start performing for your team. So that's one thing. The next thing I would say is obviously get as much knowledge as you can, mm. but be it, you've got to be able to, to decipher and teach it in a way that any level can understand it. The, the top student as well as the lowest student. Mm. And you got to get really good at teaching that in groups. Some college coaches are fantastic about teaching one really intelligent kid with all sorts of terms and lingo in the high-level track world, but they're not great at maybe teaching it to a kid that's not great at um, understanding and comprehending all the information and, and being able to control their body enough to put it to use. You've got to be able, again, to do it for every level. Mm -hmm. The next is, can you do that for big groups? Mm. Because if I want to coach a good team, I need to have several good sprinters, several good hurdlers, several good of everything, right? So I see some college coaches um, struggle teaching larger groups or instructing larger groups without stopping practice for like 15 minutes to talk. Mm. You got to be able to do it fast and efficient, but do it well for everybody. So I think if high school coaches can get really good at those things, then when you try to transition into the collegiate world, um, you start to have an immediate upper hand on some of the other college coaches. And because you teach well, you're, you're well-rounded with people and you have a lot of knowledge uh, from the books and from the videos and from, you know, high level mentor coaches. And I think that's why I had a lot of high level success immediate mm. here. Cause I could speak to all levels and I could teach these, these big groups uh, really quickly, really fast, really efficiently. Mm -hmm. So you explained a lot of good attitudes for a high school coach to have who has aspirations to coach college, a lot of techniques as far as co uh, teaching and teaching in groups. What behaviors might you suggest as it relates to uh, should a high school coach be going to the USDFCA convention to their, should they just call up every coach in there? You, you talked about a, you applied in a four hour uh, kind of radius from Indianapolis. How do they uh, even get to get into the conversation for a potential opening that might occur at a university? So now that I've done it, mm -hmm. I think it's more, imper more important to make the personal contacts, mm. send out the emails, show up at the convention, try to meet people mm -hmm. and see what your kind of realistic opportunities are because just get just applying I think what you learn, and this is probably true in most jobs, but they're not going to look at every application. Mm -hmm. By the way, they may not even have the option to look at every application because human resources or whoever might sift through mm. before they even ever see them. Mm -hmm. So I think you got to make those personal contacts and try to find out you know, if, if you can come in as a paid position or part-time position or mm -hmm. is your only option a volunteer position. Um, and I think for the most part, if you didn't GA out of college, you're probably going to have to go volunteer some, mm. someplace that's going to allow you to volunteer. Interesting. Yeah. So what was the easiest part of the transition for you? And you know, the follow-up question is going to be, 
what was the hardest thing for you? So start with the easiest. What what did you get to college? Maybe you thought it was going to be hard, but you're like, oh, okay, it's still hurdles. They're still 42 inches. Yeah, or- and that was the easy part. Making workouts and actually coaching on the hmm. spot was the easiest freaking thing ever. And I thought it was going to be hard. Yeah, okay. And the reason I thought it was going to be hard is because they were going to be so good at everything. <laughs> did you get a little and surprised also, by that? <laughs> yeah, and I also thought – and I had this a, a little bit more at Indiana University when I first started there, but not so much at Ashland. I thought that they were all going to be so confident <laughs> and have high egos that they were going to struggle listening to me. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and, and I had a little bit of that at Indiana University, but not a ton. At the end of the day, everybody wants to get better. Right. And if you can prove to them that you have some information to make them better, they're going to listen. Mm-hmm. And then if it works at all, and it becomes valid, now they're in. Mm-hmm. And, and I really got that here at, at Ashland. So that part was hmm. probably 10 times easier than I expected. That's awesome. Yeah, you know, what you're describing there is a prima donna. Uh, and luckily, <laughs> right. prima donnas are rare. <laughs> if there was a whole team of prima donnas, they probably wouldn't even be a team at that point. <laughs> yeah, right. So that was the easy, kind of a surprise for you, easy. That's, that's awesome. That's a good thing to be awesome. What was the hardest? What did you either think was going to be easy and it was not, or blind, like came out of nowhere, you didn't even realize you were going to have to do X, Y, Z when you got to become a collegiate coach? So the, I don't even know, really know how to put this in words, so I'm just going to try to describe uh-huh. it. I've always tried to teach young people. I've always tried to treat young people like adults. Um, so especially at the high school level, when I had juniors and se- seniors, I tried to teach them and advise them and mentor them like young adults uh-huh. because I always thought people treated them too much like they were 12 years old and nine years old still. When I came to the collegiate level, I found myself struggling sometimes to realize I'm actually working with grown men and women mm. and that all I can do sometimes is just give them advice and let them go do what they do because they're grown men and women. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still have to be a mentor and I still have to um, enforce some rules and I still have to try to help them make good choices. But it's a lot different as an example for my uh, fifth year senior, my first year that ran uh, 21, uh, you know, 15 or whatever he ran, he made the national meet for this first time of his life. I really, I struggled with his personality at practice. Hmm. Okay. Because I would say what we're going to do. And then he would sometimes say something under his breath or be like, man, this sucks. <laughs> and I got so tired. of Uh-oh. it. <laughs> and, at, in high school, I would have nipped that in the butt, and we it would have been gone. But this dude is, you know, 24 years old. Right, right. That's a grown man. Right. So, And I remember pulling him in my office and telling him that whole story, by the way. Hmm. And he looked me straight in the face. He's six, six foot four grown man. <laughs> and he said, Coach, have I ever not done anything you've asked me to do in practice? Hmm. And at that time especially – I, I was stuck. I was like, you know, Eric, no. Hmm. He said, coach, whether I like what you asked me to do or not, whether or not I even agree with it, whether or not I want to do it, I'm going to do it. Hmm. And that was like a moment where I was like, you know, people are who they are. 
and I can't be bothered so much by the fact that he does that sometimes that I can't appreciate the fact that he's doing everything I'm asking him to do. Hmm. And so, and, and I would have nipped that in the butt as a 15, 16 year old, because right. it's not a good habit to be getting into. Um, but as a fifth year senior, that was three quarters of the way through his senior year, <laughs> getting better and doing everything they need to be doing. I needed to like, just let that go that that's what he does. Mm. I tell you, you, you know, that young man showed uh, some leadership and um, maturity there because he spoke truth to power. You know, he could have had a bad attitude and he could you know, have like, oh, whatever, whatever, man, whatever. whatever. Yes. You know, instead, he, he sounds like he, I'm going to say he sat down, but, you know, he, he said, well, let me explain to you who I am in the sense of, have I ever not yes. done it? And, you know, and helped you understand. That was a big moment for you too, to understand that. Yeah. And it was, and he ended that by the way, cause I didn't freak out mm-hmm. on him and he didn't freak out on me. Right. We ended that conversation with him saying something to the effects of, and coach, I'll try to do better. Wow. Wait, you mean two adults had a conversation where they had a disagreement about <laughs> right. his attitude, even though he, his attitude was good in the sense that he did the workout. So uh, his personality, maybe he needed to express that this sucks or whatever. Uh, so two adults had a conversation and had a disagreement about something and yet were able to have a positive outcome. That's amazing. I wish yep. more in our society could do that. <laughs> yeah, and it- and, you know, he was a guy, too, that just kept checking in with the program mm, after he graduated. That's awesome. And, you know, comes back and says hi. So, mm. you know, it was good. I, but it, it was a, a bit of a, a, an eye-opener for me that you're – like, these people are who they are because of their age. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have input, and you should try to help them. But they are who they are. It's okay, man. Right. Chill out. Um, so I, I've, I think I've done a better job with that as I've realized their age and the ability to seek to understand, not to be understood where that young man came from. You have no, I mean, you, you probably do, but yes, uh, you know, early when you first meet someone and coach them in their first seasons not just their first season, you know, where, their background, what they came through, what they, uh, how they were treated, how they treated others. You know, you don't, you don't know that it takes time to learn yep. about someone and you're dealing with 20, 30, 40, 50 kids. Uh, so the challenge yes. of to, uh, seeking to understand each on an individual level is uh, not insurmountable, but boy, it's a it's a big mountain to uh, to climb. Hey, Ernie, that is a great place to stop right there. That was that's so awesome. You have definitely uh, connected uh, some dots for people who are thinking about um, co- they're coaching high school and they want to coach college. Interesting. We didn't even. Uh, talk about this, but I think you have also helped some college coaches understand what it's like to be on the high school level. There's some empathy there that they can understand now. Before we go, uh, I want mm-hmm. to uh, understand a little bit better. You run a hurdles camp or clinic with like yes. a ton of hurdlers. Tell, tell me more about that. Yeah, I've got something called the Elite Hurdle Camp that I started a long time ago. Uh, and I couldn't even tell you what year anymore with a guy named uh, Tim Ritchie mm-hmm. who runs the um, indie, indie pole vault mm-hmm. camp in Indianapolis. Uh, I really wanted to start a hurdle camp because I wished I had that as a kid. No other reason. I just wanted, I wish I would have had that right. as a kid. So, you know, he had this really good pole vault camp uh, that I 
went to just to learn. And I spoke to him about it. And he said, you're in, hmm. let's do this thing. So, and he said, you're going to do all of it. I have nothing <laughs> to do with it, but you're going to do it. You're going to, you know, promo it. You're going to run it. You can pick coaches, whatever. So I did it. And I still remember to this day, I had seven kids show up to my first hurdle hmm. game. And I personally knew five of them and coached them either in high school or in club. And I was like, oh, gosh, I don't know if this is going to be worth it. Now, fast forward to um, the past couple summers, I've had between 180 and 200 hurdlers in from, you know, anywhere from like eight to 11 different states across the country. Um, I've even had some interest, by the way, internationally. So that's grown into something really this big. Is I always bring back. Two, go ahead. Two hundred, nothing but hurdlers. This, this nothing but this sounds yeah. like hurdle. Heaven. Nothing but hurdlers. <laughs> it's it, it, and for me as a coach, it it is because it is what I did. It is part of my passion, and I like to help wow. people. So and, you must bring in other coaches that you trust, and a, a little bit like how Ed brought you in. By the way, it's it would probably be like you bring other coaches well, in to help with these kids. Here's what I do. I bring in my own hurdlers. Mm. So, you know, if you've hurdled for me at any point in your life, you know, my cues, Mm -hmm. you know, my drills. So if you usually it's, you know, usually it's people within the last two or three years. Um, But I, I uh, bring in higher in and depending on, on your um, kind of your experience doing the camps. Like I, I pay, I pay people, some of them volunteer, but I have all my own people wow. here at Camp working it. So you might work with a Trevor Bassett who was pretty good in high school, but now is a national champion <laughs> yeah. hurdler that ran in the USA championships. Wow. You may have a Max Tuttle who was a state champ for me in high school um, that's now running through USA championships. Mm. You know, the, these people may be working with you, and that's usually pretty cool for the high school. Yeah, kids. absolutely. Is this uh, camp every summer? I do one in the summer, um, and, and I've, I've done more than one before, but usually it's a two-day camp in the summer, and then I do a two-day camp in the winter as mm. well. So two different times a year, one to get you, yourself rolling mm-hmm. in indoors, usually in December, right after Christmas, and then I always try to do it around July 4th, either the weekend right before the weekend right after July 4th. Well, let's hope that July 4th-ish 2020 uh if someone out there is interested in learning more about sending their athletes uh to this camp what's the best way for them to reach out to you whether it's email twitter smoke signals what what it's the best way well not smoke signals (laughs) anymore but i do have the elite hurdle speed.com website elite hurdle speed.com yep and that's going to get you Typically, information, contact info, um, dates, all that type of stuff. And, and usually, uh, once it's up live, you know, we have sometimes we have um, line, uh, live online hmm. uh, registration as well and those types of things. But yeah, that'll give them everything they need. Wow. Well, I'd encourage you, uh, if you're listening to this, you can obviously hear the passion coming from Ernie. Uh, I was able to impress Coach Clark here because my first email address ever uh, back in the <laughs> late 90s, so this is how old, I might have had one of the first email addresses in the world, uh, was was through Hotmail. <laughs> and so you had to come up with your name. And you know most people use their name or something. And uh, my 
hotmail address, which I don't even know if it's still around. I changed it to, to Gmail now, but uh, was hurdle love <laughs> at hotmail.com. <laughs> now, now it's hurdle love 66 at gmail.com. So I was, uh, I was able to have some street cred with, uh, with coach Clark here. Uh, but I just uh, encourage you to reach out to, to Ernie about uh, hurdles or any other event. He's obviously doing an amazing job with uh, all the events that he coaches. Uh, and Ernie, I just can't say thank you enough, man. You were so humble, so open. Uh, really, you know, my, my job here is to create as much value as I can for other coaches. And, and that's exactly what you just did here for the thousands. I mean, there are thousands of high school track coaches that are in the same boat you are as a college coach. Season is gone uh right you know and and again you know i'm preaching to the choir because you taught and coached high school uh but there are just so much passion and uh and and sadness right now because of not having a season uh you just really created a lot of value for those guys and gals that are out there that really are the bedrock of our track and field um market out there you know they're the ones who are coaching kids that you're recruiting (laughs) to 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 coach and and that's the the bedrock for going on to usa teams and olympics and stuff like that so uh yeah can't say thank you enough man this was so much fun yep great for me too man i appreciate the opportunity awesome awesome well uh again you're not going to the track right now so uh well you got a little baby so your job's to go yeah i'm about to go back home i'm in the office right now i'm about to go back home i was gonna say go paint a room or something but you go take care of those (laughs) babies give mommy a break she she deserves it that's right thanks again so much ernie really appreciate you uh being with us today well i told you you were gonna enjoy that i uh just found it so fascinating to hear his passion for leadership. I can't stress it enough. Uh, I mentioned the book, uh, Lead for God's Sake by Todd Gonger. Uh, you absolutely, uh, if you think leadership's important as a track and field coach, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that this book is, it's for you. Uh, just go out right now. Pause. Go get it done. So uh, thanks for Ernie. Uh, Really um, hope you enjoyed connecting with Ernie as much as I did because it just made my day. Uh, And if you've made it this far, boy, thank you so much. Uh, Your time means the world to me. This was another uh, long one here, an hour and a half uh, talk. And again, felt like five minutes. Ernie is such a pleasure to talk to. Uh, If you would like to know about future episodes of the Gill Athletics Connections podcast, uh, highly suggest you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player. Uh, that way you'll know when we publish an episode and uh, who that person is and background and why you should should be listening. If you or someone you know uh, would like to be a guest on the Gill Athletics Connections podcast, email me at h-u-r-d-l-e at gillathletics.com. That's right. Uh, much like Ernie, I'm a hurdle guy. Hurdle at gillathletics.com. In the meantime, uh, certainly hope you feel led to share this podcast on your social media network of choice. Word of mouth is the way to gain uh, more value for other people with this podcast. And uh, super look forward to you joining us next time when we once again connect you with another great track and field coach. Bye.